take a deep, long, slow breath in and exhale. And again, inhale and exhale. Finally, inhale and exhale. Welcome to the Mindful Music Pedagogy Podcast, where we're dedicated to helping music educators develop a balanced awareness of what we teach as well as who we teach. My name is Jessica Kebby, and if you like a direct, smart, kind, and sometimes humorous approach to music, education, and wellness, this is the place for you. If you haven't listened to parts one or two of my interview with Emily Trapp Jenkins, go ahead and do that now. Here in part three, we pick up with Emily describing an injury that occurred just days before her doctoral school audition. She talks about her struggle to mentally and physically overcome her obstacles and talks about her successful career today. As Emily and I talked, the word that kept coming to my mind was redemption. I think you'll love hearing the ending of Emily's story. Enjoy. I I had an audition set up for a Saturday in um, like middle of February. And the audition was on a Saturday. So the week leading up to that, the Monday before, so I guess six days before whatever, um, I woke up and it was just a normal day. Um, and I remember laying in bed and waking up to my alarm. And I remember reaching over to grab my phone, which was my alarm, and trying to turn off my alarm. Well, I remember my hand couldn't like I was trying to press my thumb down onto the phone to press the stop button and it was really delayed (laughs) and Mm. it was really weird. And I just like, okay, I'm just half asleep or whatever. So I eventually just like got it turned off and I sat up out of bed because my, my arm felt kind of funny. And all of a sudden I realized that both of my arms from about my shoulder all the way down to my fingertips, primarily on one half of my arm, but really kind of all over in both sides of my arm were asleep. And normally when that happens, it means that you've like slept on your arm wrong. Right. Like it happens all the time. You wake up and you have like a tweak in your neck or, you know, mm-hmm. something and you're like, oh, that it goes away. Sucks. Yeah. yeah, that kind of sucks. Like I slept on my whatever wrong. So my first instinct was like, that's, I've never had both of my arms feel like this. Like normally it's like I sleep on my side and it's just on the one side, but I immediately noticed that it was both of my arms felt funny mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was going on. So I just like, I tried to get out of bed and like put clothes on and like take a shower. And it progressively got worse. Like by the minute, like the tingling was more intense. Anytime that I tried to stretch my arm out straight, uh, whether that's like to pick something up or just literally just straight in front of me, I felt the, the tension of what felt like a nerve because it was tingling. Mm-hmm. Um, but something was stretching in a not pretty way. And mm-hmm. I, I was starting to hurt. And I had no idea what was going on. It was absolutely terrifying. So I called my primary care doctor and this was really nuts. Even holding the the cell phone up to my head, what happens obviously is that your hand or your arm is bent. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time I didn't know, but my ulnar nerve was the problem in both Mm -hmm. my arms. And when you bend your arm, like you're holding a cell phone up to your face, you're hyperextending that. So that actually caused like shooting pain. And I had to put the phone down on speaker because Mm -hmm. I couldn't even hold a phone to my head. This was like 10 in the morning, right. Or nine in the morning. And I'm calling and I'm like, I need to come 
today to yeah. the doctor. I don't know what's going on. I think I just maybe I have something out of a socket. Like that's maybe right. what I thought. I just, something's not right. Something's not right. Thankfully I had a pretty clear day that day. I don't mm-hmm. know how schedule wise that worked. Um, but I went to the doctor and I'm sobbing to my primary care and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you don't understand. I'm a pianist. I have an audition <laughs> this week. I cannot not use my arms. I feel like most doctors understand this when you come in and you're like, I'm an athlete. And then when you come yes. in and they're like, I'm a musician. They're like, that's nice. Yeah. You're like, it is the that's, same. That's it's a cute just hobby. Like yeah. Small muscle. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It is yeah. just as vital. <laughs> and she, I mean, my primary care was amazing amazing. Yeah. But she was like, you need to calm down. Like I remember her saying, you need to take some deep breaths. Yeah. I was sobbing, right? I had, sure. my eyes were super red and swollen <laughs> and I was freaking out. Right. Yeah. I'm also like at the height of my stress with of my course. anxiety and everything. So and ev- audition looming. Yeah. So I am really, truly the hottest of messes yeah. that this person could see. I was like still in sweatpants and, and, and anyway, so, uh, she said, oh, I, I can't get you into the hand specialist until tomorrow. So I came back the next day and they had determined that, um, I had a bilateral ulnar nerve entrapment, which means that, um, I had built up so much tension in my neck and shoulders when I'm playing and when I'm sleeping and when I'm studying and all this stuff. Um, if you kind of crunch your shoulders and neck up like this, then you can kind of start to feel it eventually will start kind of slowly going down the back of your spine. Um, and not, not far, probably to like on, um, like the middle of your back or like your bra line or Mm -hmm. something like that. So really not that far, but what a lot of people don't know, the ulnar nerve is your funny bone. So when you hit your funny bone, that's why it causes the tingling. That's the sensation I had when I woke up on both arms. Wow. So it was very weird, right? It's just very like, it didn't go away. No, it didn't. It was, it just, kept Mm. there for a long, long, long time. Uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, the tension that I had been carrying Mm. in all my neck and shoulders had literally, uh, my hand specialist told me was a ticking time bomb and it was only a matter of time before I would literally wake up one day and the nerves would be so pissed that they would just inflame and become so inflamed that they would just be hypersensitive to any sort of arm movement. Mm. So whether I'm bending my arm straight out in front of me or bending it up like I was, I was holding the phone, right? right? God um, forbid trying to use fingers independently. Yeah, nothing. So it was <laughs> right. only a matter of time. Mm. Uh, this seemed like a total weird situation to me. Did you feel like deja vu in terms of like this time last year, it was like, they're playing a joke on me. And now it's like, here I am a year later and my body's playing a joke on me. Like it absolutely was. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) was that. And I, you know, they were explaining it to me like it wasn't a big deal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yes, exactly. Like you don't understand. I'm going to tell you again. Right. Like my whole life is my arms and my hands. And they're like, Oh, well, you'll be fine. Like it just a little bit of treatment. I'm like, no, but like what you're, if I don't stick to this schedule, like, yeah, like I have anyway. So they told me pretty quickly that this is going to be a long-term recovery. Um, Mm. I was in physical therapy for eight weeks and I went five days a week. So it was very intense. And they told me pretty much right away. They're like, yeah, we don't want you touching a piano. Cause we don't want anything that's going to piss off right. the nerves and your, um, for pianists, it's your fourth and fifth fingers. So your mm-hmm. pinky and ring fingers are primarily where that nerve connects. And mm-hmm. it's on the inner side of your hand through your funny bone up 
through your shoulder. It kind of wraps up and around to the top of your shoulder and then back through your spine. So that's mm-hmm. all the same nerve. It's probably one of the largest nerves in the body is what they told me. Um, so it does take a lot to piss that nerve off wow. in the amount that I had in, inflamed. So do you think that your anxiety played into your tension, yes. which then translated into that? Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm confident because I, I did not sleep on my hands wrong. I mean, I think that may be a combination of not sleeping really the way I should, but it was, my doctor really did tell me, she really said it was only a matter of time Mm -hmm. before because the amount of tension and like I had to get my neck realigned. Like there was Mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff that was going on and, um, I had no idea. I had no warning. I had no, no signs, no symptoms mm. of anything being wrong, except for just like being so beyond stressed right. and so beyond my level and anxiety and stuff. And again, um, I, I personally think that maybe that was part of my coping mechanism. You know how some people turn to other coping mechanisms. I did not listen to my body one bit. I mm. never stretched. I didn't work out. I didn't do anything to help my body at all. Oh, I wasn't Mm. doing yoga. I wasn't drinking water. I wasn't doing pretty much any of the general health, you know, requirements because, um, that's another horrible thing that's glorified in grad school is, oh, you just push through it. Right. Right. You just like stay up till five in the morning every day. And of course, you know, the people who, you know, the best ones can do that. Right. That's the idea. Like, and if you can't, there's something wrong with you, Exactly. (laughs) which is the actual opposite in real life. But yeah, I remember thinking, you know, if I went to bed at midnight, that was a a wimp. Yep. No, oh, like, oh, that was, was a win. win. Yeah. But like also a whim. Right. Like I right. yes. you gave up on your life. A lot of people that would day. stay up so much right. later yeah. practicing or whatever. But yeah, um, and practicing was normal. I mean, at that level, normally a normal day would involve anywhere from four to eight hours of practicing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's not counting your classes, your lessons, right. your chamber music, yeah. your accompanying or anything. Everything yeah. That's else. normal schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, of course the, the injury, I was on rest for about four months. I didn't mm. play the piano at all. So um, did you cancel the auditions? I guess yeah. like, okay. Yeah, I had to, I, right. I wrote to them and I said, I don't really know what's going on, but I have an injury mm-hmm. that I have been experiencing the past couple of days and I need to not play the piano. Um, And my studio teacher, thankfully, was completely understanding. Um, We were able to finish the semester with meeting during our normal lesson times, but I did a paper instead. So I wrote, you know, I did research and I earned my A, right? Like she worked with me, which was phenomenal. And it it all worked out. But I was just, I mean, if 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 I were to compare the level of devastation from, you know, like when I didn't pass my hearing that first year to my injury, I would say it had to have been like 30 to 40% more devastation with my injury. Mm. I mean, I was at my absolute lowest of low. Um, Graduation wasn't even a happy event for me, to be honest, because I had been through so many crazy ups and downs that, yeah, I mean, I was so proud that I had finished my degree, but it didn't even feel like it. Like I didn't, I didn't even feel like I had finished anything because at the end, like my injury happened in February. So like those last few months I wrote this paper that was great. Right. I was proud of that, but like, and I finished my courses, but like, as far as piano playing, I did nothing. 
that last semester it felt like. So mm. I was like, this is really weird. Right. And I, my, you know, my, my folks came out and, you know, Derek was there and my friends were there. And I even look back on my pictures from graduation mm. and I'm smiling, you know, and I'm, but, oh man, there's something off. Right. Yeah. Like I can tell. And I remember feeling weird about that whole situation with graduation. Did it feel like I didn't deserve this? This isn't what I came here to do? Or was it just like, well, that ended funny? <laughs> like, yes and no. Yeah. yeah. Yes and no. Because, um, there was also that moment in graduation where they make all of the degree programs stand up. Right. So I was sitting, you know, we're all sitting in alphabetical order and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, all, you know, please, all the MMs stand, Mm -hmm. you know, to be recognized or whatever. So they all, and I'm one of, I think maybe three or four or five at the time that were MAs. And literally like, that's how I felt. I was sitting and they were standing and then the opposite Mm -hmm. happened. So they sat and I was like singled out weirdly alone standing up in that crowd. Um, so again, not that I didn't deserve it, right. but it of was like, w- again, what am I missing here? Right. Like, again, it always came back to that, that like, feeling. I'm the odd man out again, right? Yeah. I'm like this weird feeling, but um, yeah, like recovering from the injury, thankfully I was able to fully recover. I still, from time to time, do get sensations, but mm. never when I play. It's usually if I'm dumb to sleep on one side wrong. Right. Like if Put I- your hands over your head when yes, you're sleeping. Yep. If I'm a, like stomach sleeping, right? Yep. With arms like this, mm-hmm. I cannot do that. Yeah. I know I shouldn't. Sometimes I do. Um, <laughs> but my sensations are pretty much gone. Um, mostly because- Literally, those nerves were just worked, 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 and yeah. then they needed to chill. And I do a lot more stretching now. Mm-hmm. I have so much more like of a routine with care with my physical arm health, um, which right. some people think that's kind of hippy dippy. But I mean, I went through it an injury, is, so right. don't tell me, you know, like <laughs> I I should be able to do this. Um, so and I I feel fine now. Um, mm-hmm. So really, I mean that's definitely like the failure side right. of things. Um, and then you took, you graduated and you stayed in Kansas I city. Did. And how long were you here? Um, let me think. I was here for two years. And how did post-grad. you feel about yourself, your professional self, your personal self in yeah. those two years? Um, the first six months after graduation were the worst. Um, because I was just in this like weird dark hole, Um, I was also really not confident that I was going to be able to do music as my primary income. I had a church job, which was great. Um, I was teaching some studio students out of a studio location. I was living in an apartment at the time, so I didn't have a space of my own, but I had those two gigs. And then I was very, very, very lucky to get on board with a couple more studios. So Mm -hmm. actually by, um, by the time September, October, excuse me, of that year rolled around, I realized, Hey, I'm actually, I'm going to be doing okay financially. So I didn't have to get another job, uh, outside of waitress. (laughs) I didn't. And I was fully prepared. I was fully willing, but, um, I was living on the cheap, right? right? And it's pretty cheap to live in certain parts of this city, which is phenomenal. Um, and I wasn't paying off debt, that's for sure, but I was making enough to mm-hmm. pay my bills. Yeah. So I was happy with that. Um, 
And during that year I did like travel teaching for in home. So I would like drive to people's houses and, mm-hmm. um, I would, you know, bring in a lot of money with that. Cause you get paid to travel and blah, 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 mm-hmm. raised my rates. Cause I graduated and right. I was able to just like slowly within those two years, really build, 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 and like understand my worth as a professional. Now that I had this degree, I was like, wow, I need to be upping my professional game and my rates. Right. And, you know, I wrote my first contract for lessons. Like I was really starting to think, okay, yeah, this is where I'm thriving, right? Like I'm so good at this stuff. As long as I don't have to give like a professional solo recital program, I am totally fine. Like this is unless you're doing the competition circuit, that's, you don't do that in real life very much. Or I should say, I mean, university teaching, you still do that sometimes, but even then you're collaborating more than you are soloing. Yes. And I mean, I very well could have just said, I'm going to do a solo program, but even that, like it's not a requirement and it's really not very common anymore in many parts of the world, not just for Kansas city, but like many parts of the world. Um, so, you know, I was still doing performing, like I did a church job, which Mm -hmm. felt kind of like performing in certain aspects. I accompanied some musicals. Like I did some like good things for my playing as far as like doing collaborative right. um, projects and stuff, stuff you like wouldn't that. have necessarily gotten to do in school. Yes. But that actually are what you do in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were so much more logical and yeah. they helped me feel like I was beginning to gain that trust back yes. in that environment of me sitting at a piano. Yeah. Cause that was such a toxic place. I mean, <laughs> that seat, the, the seat at the bench yep. was such a awful place for those full two years that I, you know, I wasn't scared to revisit it, but I was, I really, it felt like I needed to, it needed to be regained trust wise. And I needed to gain some confidence, um, with that. And that was the most perfect way to do it. I was involved with some MTNA stuff. So like administrative side stuff. And then I played, like I said, I played a musical and I played church jobs. So I was doing this really huge smorgasbord of stuff at the piano that didn't just, uh, that didn't just force me into like playing solo stuff, which I had pretty much exclusively been doing in my grad program. Mm -hmm. So again, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, people assume that there's one way to play the piano. Well, there's, um, actually many ways (laughs) and I had not gotten the chance or time or opportunity to do all that. But once I did, I was like, yes, awesome. Like this is so much better. And I feel like when I come, when my students come to the, to the university and they, especially with their parents, you know, the first interviews and auditions and they're like, so it's usually the parents that are skeptical. Like, yeah well, I don't know, they're wanting to do a music thing. Like, and I just smile and say, like, if you're a pianist or you're a singer, if you're good and, you know, and you're responsible and you, you show up and you Mm -hmm. do your work, you will never lack for money because there are so many ways to make an, not just a living, but a very comfortable living as a musician, like you say, mm-hmm. accompanying, playing for solo and ensemble, playing mm-hmm. for school choirs, playing for churches, playing for musicals. I mean, all year long, if you just tune into what's going on in your community's yeah. musical, um, you know, musical sub community, yeah. you can see, uh, you yeah. know, that they need pianists, they need singers all the time. And all the so time. You, if you learn those skills, yes, you will never lack for opportunities. Yes, yeah. that's absolutely true. And I had a really strong communication side, like I mm-hmm. mentioned. So I knew how to PR. Yes. I knew how to do posters and newsletters and, re, you know, cr- 
correctly craft a beautiful email, right? Or like I knew how to do all these things. And that's why it felt so crippling during my master's because I was like, I have skills. Like right. I, I am a, I'm smart. I'm totally capable of getting this degree. Like, why am I not succeeding? Like, why am I not mm-hmm. thriving? And that's why it was so unbelievably frustrating and why my anxiety was at an all time high because my puzzle pieces, none of them matched. Mm-hmm. I had this huge pile and none of them matched what I had on my board and extremely beyond frustrating. But, you know, now looking back, um, I get the question a lot when I talk to people about my injury or performance anxiety, a lot of people say, okay, what would you do differently? Mm -hmm. Or now looking back, you know, like what are your thoughts on those years in your life? And I, it's really hard for me to say that I would want to change anything. Um, it was absolutely the most horrible and I horrible time of my life. I absolutely would not ever want to do that again. Yeah. Um, being injured is no joke. Uh, having mental obstacles is no joke. Um, feeling like you can't do the thing that you want to do is no joke. And wondering, I'm sure the uncertainty of, will I ever be able to with the injury, not knowing if you're going to recover? Yeah. I mean, a whole week go down the list, right? Like there are so many things that are the worst. Mm -hmm. I mean, having in my case, like I had a family member die during that time too, who I was very close with many things. I mean, gosh, I could go on for a long time of all the things that happened, but I get that question a lot. Like, would you do anything differently? Or, you know, what advice would you give to other people to avoid what you experienced? Well, I don't really have much advice other than the fact that you just have to like, listen to what you want to do. And I should have maybe, I should have maybe been asking different sets of questions Mm -hmm. to myself. And maybe I could have understood myself at a better level when I was in my master's to say, I don't know if I really like this. Like just based off of that, maybe I should have been doing something else. Maybe I shouldn't have powered through like everyone else was telling me to do or what that, you know, that's the Mm -hmm. norm or whatever. Um, but I don't blame myself for doing that. I couldn't have known. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, but I think you can, so you couldn't change anything of course about what you went through, but you can use it. I think now that you're in a position where you do work at a university now, I know. And you said something earlier that said, you know, when, when you met with your advisor who asked, what are you interested in? And no one had ever asked you that before. Yeah. And like what you just said, like, maybe do I even like it? Yeah. I feel like we're so in, as musicians, there's just, you know, one or two tracks you take and, well, it doesn't really matter if you like it or not. This is what you have to do to be, yeah. to make it. But those two questions are so important. So now that you have the, the position that you have, yeah. you can ask those kids, those questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. you can, so that's, I feel like how you a way you can use what you went through yeah. as something super positive for totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, I, I want to say very explicitly, I did not win this job. This job was actually presented to yeah. me. They kind of created this position for me because, um, my husband, Derek was hired as the, um, assistant professor of, um, music theory and music composition at Arkansas state university. University. So he won the job. Sure. He went through the search process and uh, very, very deserving.
self-serving. Of course, he's the hardest working person I know. Um, I could just go on forever about how amazing my husband is, not just as a personal person, but just musician, collaborator, academic. I mean, he's top notch. Anyway, uh, I'm only a little <laughs> bit biased as you can tell, but he won the job. And when he won the job, they said, you know, who you're going to be bringing with you. Are you married? Do you have kids? Anything like that? And he just mentioned that I was a pianist with an advanced degree. And as it turns out, they were really, really in need of a pianist to hire on staff. Mm-hmm. So they created the adjunct position literally for me, um, which there's no greater amount of gratitude that I can yeah. give to anybody except for the department chair at Arkansas State and everybody who just, you know, they said, well, there's a need that needed to be filled. And they met with me like once and said, yeah, let's let's bring you on board. So uh, my job has really turned into something uh, tremendous. I mean, I'm super, I'm very busy. I'm adjunct on paper, but I yes. work about 25 <laughs> to 30 hours. We a all week. know that's the truth. Yes, I know. I, I wish I could say I got paid <laughs> a little more than I do, but I am doing exactly what I love. And I literally, if you had told me, you know, in the tumultuous time of the injury and everything during my grad program, if you had ever told me, Hey, if you wait just a couple more years, hmm. like you're going to be working at a university, I would have absolutely laughed in your face and said, <laughs> no way. Like, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy. You know, I don't have the skill sets and trust me, I don't have all the skills, right? I'm still very much learning. There's anybody some... though. We never actually <laughs> arrive. We think we're going to arrive. And yeah. No one actually ever does. No, no. <laughs> and, but you know, I, I really think in my case, what has helped me in this job is, um, just doing it and not having time to think. Um, I get so much rep handed to me in such a short amount time. And, uh, you know, can you play this tomorrow at their lesson or whatever? And I'm a great sight reader. So that works in favor for me mm-hmm. and it works in favor for them. Um, it's not perfect, but Hey, like I'm cycling through a lot of rep and I played six vocal degree recitals this last spring semesters. And so learned a lot of great rep and got to really collaborate. I mean, my position mm-hmm. is collaborative pianist and I, they really did give me the power to like work with these kids and coach them and uh, make it a wow. more collaborative experience. I'm not a trained vocal coach. So that mm-hmm. really wasn't my specialty, but musically, sure, you know, I helped them in ideas. rehearsals and, um, a lot of these, most of these students are undergraduates. And so they're still, you know, kind of getting their bearings as far as musicality and, you know, sure, things to do technique. in particular styles. Um, and that's something I can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you I can teach them how to count. Yeah. How I to can. listen for the intro. Yes. yes. And <laughs> like how to bring, you know, beautiful moments of push yes. and pull and music right. and stylistic choices how with language. Yes. How to cue, how to like, things. yeah, I don't know how to express all these mm-hmm. kinds of things that are not by any means novice skills, but, right. uh, there are things that I can certainly help with. Um, so anyway, yeah. And then the, the huge culmination of that for me is, um, the thing that I just, again, it's one of those things. If you had told me that I was going to be doing mm-hmm. this, I would have totally not believed in you. Um, one of the voice faculty who I work almost exclusively with in his studio, he, um, approached me about a couple months ago or so and said that, um, he wants to do Schubert's Venturiza and I actually get to play 
Schubert's Winterreise with that's him so next funny. year, which I cannot even, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh. that's such a big honor. You're here playing for the students. And then the teacher says, now I want yeah. you to play with me. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, I've really watched you play this year and you're really good with German lead. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh. probably because I love German lead. First of all, <laughs> like I just connect with German lead yeah. so much and I love all of it. And I yes. just, oh, it's so great. I did play a lot of German music this year too, which mm-hmm. helps. But, um, he said, yeah, like I've been wanting to cycle through Winterreise again and I would love for you to play it. And I was like, oh my God. So that's kind of the next huge thing yeah. is, uh, this summer I'm going to start to dive into that. And, um, I just, I can't believe it. Like it's so weird and so beautiful that these things have changed. Um, and, I mean, I don't think I could have ever predicted it. Um, Moving certainly helped with the anxiety. And like... Changing locations is a big deal. Yes, it is. And it was a pretty low-key position at at first. Um, You know, I was not necessarily on like a trial run by any means, but people, you know, were very forgiving of me. Like not, I mean, they only gave me like usually 24 hours of notice with music or a week with music. And so it's not going to be of the hugest recital quality. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, they were just happy to have someone, yeah. a body to play the notes, excuse me. And it was a bonus for them that mm-hmm. I could actually you know, eventually execute this music quite well. Um, and contribute, like you say, more than just sitting there playing the notes. To yes. Because yeah. they had hired many people in the past sure. who they just paid to literally show up, play, leave. And it was not a personal, you know, it right. wasn't anything. And we're a fairly, I wouldn't say we're a small institution, but we're, you know, they really value that personal relationship mm-hmm. with the students and stuff like that. And since they hired my husband, they're like, well, we really we would like to offer you something is what they told me. And so where, you know, where do you feel like your skills are best? And I said, well, I can play and I like to work with people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it was maybe another like coming full circle moment when Helen Perry was like, what do you want to do? You know, I was luckily in a position where they said, we'd like to hire you. Like, we'd like to give you something to do at Arkansas State a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to be adjunct and part-time, but I said, that's fine. You know, like, I would love to just focus on accompanying and working with either instrumentalists or vocalists. They put right. me with the vocalists because that was where the need was. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I can't believe it. It's just incredible. <laughs> well, so... Th- kind of tackling that last subject of the succeeding. Yeah. Right. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's easy when you struggled with performance anxiety, anxiety <laughs> to feel like ultimately you never succeed. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe we don't, I don't know. But, um, one thing that I came across when I was researching all of this for my, my doctoral, um, yeah. research, which was focused on, music performance anxiety yeah. was, uh, that perfectionism and anxiety go hand in hand. Absolutely. And so when you're a perfectionist, <laughs> it's this double-edged sword because of yeah. course that's what helps make you better. But then on the other hand, it can really come back and cut you with the anxiety side of it. Yes. And so it's, yeah, it's so easy internally to just see the areas where we still failed, even when it might appear to be a success on mm-hmm. the outside. Um, 
So I'm wondering with this past year, to me, it seems like really redemptive for you to be in this position. Oh my gosh. That's a great word for it. At the university and just doing what you love and doing it well and being in a supportive environment and, uh, and like, my gosh, uh, asked, what do you want to do? How yeah. incredible is that? That does not happen often no. at the university. That, no, it doesn't. It really is often. And just... I'll definitely be the first to admit that. Like, that's why I was so clear in saying they hired my husband and like, oh, I was no, a bonus. Okay. Like I was definitely a bonus. And... But I don't think you should minimize that because honestly, the fact that they created a position for you yeah. in some ways speaks even more to your your abilities and your character and your person, you know, than just being another person that, you know, shuffled through the university for an audition (laughs) and they're like, yeah, sure. That seems right. Yeah. Because we all know. And so, so many times that ends up biting them in the, in the, ass. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Yes. It's true. Um, because they it's find true. somebody who on paper seems to fit, but they have no idea if they're actually like personally going to yeah. enhance the department or tear it down. You yeah. know? And so with you, they met you and knew, I'm sure right away that you're somebody who is going to be a collaborative spirit and presence on that campus that would make it better. Yeah. You know? um, so I'm wondering, how do you recognize success in yourself now how do you have you redefined what success is or do you feel like damn it i earned this i did it i you know i i did succeed you know i'm curious yeah well there are certainly moments like at the end of a day where i'm like i nailed it (laughs) but then there's also days where i come home and i'm like I did not nail that. <laughs> like I really did. Which that. is just human. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and musicians especially we've all had gigs where we're right. like, Yeah, that was great or oh wow. Um <laughs> should I practice? I feel bad taking that check, you know, like <laughs> that's weird. But uh I don't know, like I have to say the way that I know that I have overcome at least this chapter of my performance anxiety, I really don't think it's gone away forever. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Right. I know for a fact that it will come back. It has come back this year from time to time. I will say like right before a huge, you know, recital program or whatever, like I felt it again. Um, but it hasn't crippled you. No, it hasn't. Um, and to me, honestly, like, and my husband was the one to say this pretty much outright when I started this job in the fall. He said, when you come home and you talk about playing the piano, you are smiling when you're talking about it. And I could like cry thinking about that because like, he's like, I don't even care how well you play or, uh, if they are lucky or not to have you or like any of those elements. He said, when you talk about your work now, and when you talk about your instrument, you are smiling and you enjoy talking about it and you enjoy, like you look forward to going to play for these like hundreds of lessons (laughs) and like jury day, like I'm happy on jury day. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) who is happy on jury day? Nobody, but like, I have a chance, I think, to invest and spend time with the music again, rather than just like churn it through (laughs) and like learn it, play it, leave it. I'm now working with these students. I'm helping them being coached. I'm in their lessons. We're like working through all the ins and outs of this music. And 
you know, to come full circle, I said from the beginning, I'm a deliberate learner, right? I like those nooks and crannies. I like to, you know, conquer sections of music. I like that feeling because then, then it's easy for me to apply it other places. And then I can, you know, let it bleed through. But that has been to me, how I see success is like, I'm seeing all this hard work that's being put back into the music again. I mean, we do that in our own practicing too, but I think doing it more collaboratively has reminded me like, it is okay to be deliberate. It is okay. And probably good, obviously to like practice really mindfully. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, good to have a day where you like sing or play really well, but then it's good to have a day where you really don't do well because that's all part of the human experience a, but then as musicians B, you have to see yourselves in the, you have to see yourself in that up and down period. You, you cannot live on all the best days. You cannot live in all the bad days. You have to live in between. Um, so I mean, honestly, I, I would not care if, I had played maybe two recitals this Mm -hmm. year. Like, let's just say I had only played, well, I shouldn't say only, that's still a lot, but let's say I only played for like two students at the university total. Mm -hmm. Right. I was, I was playing for about 18 this year, which was a lot. And six of them had recitals. So it was a lot, but let's say I only was contracted to do two students. One of them was giving a recital. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just go as basic as possible. And, uh, I was teaching students on the side and blah, blah, blah. I would still say that this year was extremely successful because I learned to enjoy the music again. And I learned to just let myself physically and mentally relax Mm -hmm. and not put myself under those crazy stressful standards of whatever, whatever thoughts I was putting in my head at that time. Um, and just enjoy the music and be reminded why, you know, why do we sing things like that? Or why do we play rep or why are, you know, why do bands exist or orchestras? Like they're there to just share music. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny. I had, this is my last little bit, but I had a student come up to me, freshman instrumentalist. And, uh, she said, I've seen you play at all these, um, Tuesday recitals. That's like our departmental Mm -hmm. weekly recitals, uh, at all the Tuesday recitals. And every time you come out on stage, like you're just smiling and you just sit down and play and leave. And it just seems so easy for you. And I was like, (laughs) I like literally gripped her by the shoulders and I was like, you have no idea how long it's taken me to get to this point. She, you know, she's 18. She's really, she's really struggling with some performance anxiety of her own. And she goes, you know, how do you do it? Like, how do you not get nervous? And I had to just, like I said, like grip her by the shoulders and say, you have no idea what I have been through. Like not in like a, Hey, like right. don't judge me, hey. but I, I, snapper. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I told her, I said, it has been mm-hmm. a long journey. It's mm-hmm. been very tough. And when I tell you, I completely get how you feel mm-hmm. when you're nervous and you're performing or when you feel like crap after a lesson, like all of those feelings, I told her, I said, I completely know that feeling because I've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also put in my Facebook post that I posted recently, I said, unfortunately, my story is not, not unique. Right. And this is true. I mean, we've talked about this today mm-hmm. a bunch, but I told her the same thing. I said, you in this feeling right now, you feel like you're the only one. Hmm. I know that because I've been there in this feeling right now. You feel like nobody can completely understand 
how you feel. And you are even having a hard time describing Mm -hmm. the type of anxiety and the type of fear and, um, like just general, like crippledness that you feel like you are even having a hard time by yourself defining it. Right. And that, you know, that is so tough because I've been there and I don't, like I said, like people say like, well, what advice would you give your past self? I have no advice for mm-hmm. people like that. Cause mm-hmm. I, there wasn't any magic formula. Right. Like, yes, I moved away and yes, I was given the best job ever. And yes, like, and now I get to play all this awesome music, but there wasn't like a light bulb. There really wasn't right. like, I didn't start medication. There wasn't a light bulb. There wasn't like, I didn't start yoga and it changed my life. Like there's nothing I did different. Except it, you persevered. And that's yeah, the thing. True. I think it's so easy true. for people to to maybe take what happened like at, in for you and your masters and to just stop and mm-hmm. to quit and think, well, I guess that's not right for me. And this maybe it. it's not, maybe there is something else. I think I'm I, of the opinion that there's many things we can all do in life and succeed yeah. at and enjoy, but, um, but you didn't quit. Yeah, and that's it, true. And so that's true. That's why you had this year. I mean, a, a large part of it is why, because you just yeah. accepted the opportunity that was presented to you. Yeah. And you took on the challenge and then you were able to make this, you know, pretty radical mental and physical change yeah. this year. Well, and you know, I got married. That's sure. a huge, great thing, obviously. Did um, you feel like you relaxed after that? Yeah. It, like in your entire yeah. life? Yes. I feel like yeah, it's weird. getting married and then having <laughs> children were like the two biggest things that were just like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It kind of puts everything in perspective in it terms does. of your life and your career mm-hmm. and gives you a it long really term. <laughs> it really does. Uh, yeah. And you know, I get this question a ton too is, um, how are you possibly married to a musician? Uh, and like, how are we possibly functioning at, in a uh, married relationship? But we are so different. Obviously yeah. he's not a pianist at all. He's a composer. Well, and he's, and yeah, I think composers are different too in sense, in the sense of a, not a performing career. So yeah. he wouldn't necessarily be on the road all the time either. Right. But, but yeah, anyway, yeah, go ahead. But I mean, he very much yes. in all these chapters that we've talked about today, he absolutely related in mm-hmm. so many ways too. I mean, like I said, the story is not unique. The triangle of the anxiety, that bottom level is pretty much all I'm talking about today is like, we are all experiencing some form of anxiety. And I wish I had the magic formula. And there are people out there who've written books, they've done workshops, like they're, you know, I follow this person on Facebook right now who like really thinks that they have the answers to performance anxiety. I haven't really looked into it, but kudos to those people, like kudos to the research, kudos to the people who think that they've got it figured out and much respect. Um, I am just not that case. I just happened to like be living my life and things fell into my lap the way that they did so that I could have like such a great year this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that that's how my whole career will be. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said, I fully, I, I don't welcome it, but I fully expect right. performance anxiety to be a problem again. So do you feel like there are things that you have in your toolbox now that will help when it, it does come up that will let you cope in a way that doesn't necessarily derail you? Yeah, uh that's a great question. Um, I do think, and one of my biggest um, weapons, if you will, is 
therapy. It's a wonderful thing. I haven't been in therapy since my master's, but, um, I used to be afraid of therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to think that therapy was only for people with really messed up situations. Well, what's messed up about being a performer? No joke. joke. (laughs) But, uh, no therapy is tremendous. So I know for a fact that if, and when I feel like I'm slipping back into that, um, I will not be afraid to Mm -hmm. go to a therapist. I will not. Um, Therapy is amazing. Um, therapists, uh, as a career and as an occupation, uh, I could never do it, but I need them in my life. <laughs> like I need that. Um, I'm also not afraid of asking for help anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not afraid to say I'm not, you know, I'm really struggling with this or like I need either to do some therapy. I need to talk mm-hmm. to somebody or, um, I'm not even afraid of the potential of medication anymore because, um, medication can be so mild. I mean, it can be such a good thing, especially for like a temporary situation, but, um, I haven't needed it up until this point. And Mm -hmm. so that would only really be if it was like very, very serious. Um, but I think that's the key is like my biggest tool in my toolbox would be that I'm not afraid anymore to just be honest about whatever I need or whatever I'm not getting. Um, and there was definitely an element of that when I was struggling Mm -hmm. with my anxiety previous to this, because I didn't, I didn't know what I needed first of all. And then I didn't know how to ask for the thing I don't need, didn't know I needed. (laughs) So of course that's very confusing. And that's, that's a very popular feeling for people is they say, I know that something is wrong, but I don't know exactly what it is. And I don't know how to ask for it. Um, and that's normal. Uh, that's not okay necessarily, but that's, Mm -hmm. you know, common, a very common feeling. Um, my biggest thing, like I said, is therapy, like just going to talk to someone who can, a, just like hear you out and is legally right. contracted to not tell anybody. Right. <laughs> um, but then also maybe just offer some like <clears throat> mindfulness tactics mm-hmm. or some things to like help trigger you in those moments to say, okay, you know, Hey, I'm really feeling anxious right now. Um, like let's take some deep breaths mm-hmm. or whatever their tactics may be. Um, and you, you have to be, bigger than yourself with your anxiety. You have to be, I mean, I wasn't because I didn't know how. Well, and when it first hits you, you, of course you don't know, right? There's Mm -hmm. no way to, to know that, but it seems just from listening to what you're saying too, the other part of this is that you see the signs now Yes, and you can spot where things are headed before you get into that pit, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and, and then you're, that's so hard to climb out of, but if you can kind of go around it before it happens by going to therapy or by, like you say, stopping in the moment and just saying, here's what's happening. (laughs) I can do these things to help me get through it. That's a big deal. Absolutely. I would fully agree. Um, And, you know, it's going to come back. Of course. It's going to happen again. That's, I think, another huge growing point for me is just admitting it and just being honest. That tension of it always, it's always there. mm -hmm. And yet you figure out how to, to play in spite of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know it'll come back. Um, and it did come back a little this year, but it wasn't, it wasn't crippling. You know, it wasn't to the point where I hated myself. Right. I hated everything. I hated the music. Um, it was just, you know, I, I felt that I just really looked it in the eye and I said, okay, right. all right, 
you can, I heard someone say once they said with anxiety and fear and things like that. Um, one tactic is literally like having a conversation with them. And I remember one of my friends said that, you know, if they're in the practice room or if they're uh, getting ready for a recital, if they're, you know, in a stressful situation and their anxiety is going out of control, they will literally like look in a mirror, they'll go into the bathroom and they'll look in the mirror and say, anxiety, like I see you, Mm -hmm. I know that you're here. You are not very welcome here right now. (laughs) You can stay for a little bit, mm-hmm. but in like 10 minutes from now, you got to go. Right. Yeah. And like you're having a conversation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and saying, you know, I can't control that you're here. Mm-hmm. I cannot control that. I feel this way right now, but I can tell myself that in a, an X amount of time, whether five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour whatever in an, in this amount of time, I'm going to start taking some deep breaths and I'm really going to mindfully try to let mm-hmm. it go and not let this control my mm-hmm. physical body or my mental space or anything. Um, I haven't tried that, but I, th- I find that for a lot of people that helps because sure. they say like they're making that decision of recognizing, yes, I'm feeling super right. anxious right now, but no, it's not going to continue past right. five minutes from now or whatever. <laughs> so, well, be uh, that whole, like just being aware yeah, and being aware enough to be aware yeah. and also being aware enough to, stop and say, Hey, mm-hmm. yeah, I see that this is what's going on and I'm going to take some steps to change it. Cause I don't like it. Yeah. That's the, the foundation I think of, of being mindful when yeah. you're I in anywhere. <laughs> I could not agree more. <laughs> well, Emily, thank you so much. I uh, this has you. been so great to catch up and yes. to, uh, get to hear your story of this year. So yes, you, thank you, Jessica. To- this has been like such, and I encourage anybody, um, if you ever want to chat about performance anxiety or anything like that, please contact me. But Mm -hmm. most importantly, like, don't be afraid to like, be honest with yourself about what's been going on. Um, that was my biggest thing is I don't think I, again, like saw the signs, but, um, talking to people, you gotta like not be alone in this process. And so I am so appreciative that you are doing a project like this, where you talk about these things and you put them out in the open because hopefully somebody will hear this and say, wow, I didn't even realize that I wasn't the only one. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for putting this together. And thank you for all your work that you do with the podcast. I think it's just tremendous. Well, thank you. This concludes my interview with Emily Trapp Jenkins. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please let us and others know. And don't forget to subscribe so you stay up to date with our latest episodes. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mindfulmusicped on Twitter at MindfulMusicPed, or you can contact us at MindfulMusicPedagogy.com, where you can also find other helpful resources.